hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is out on assignments. Uh, out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, it is October, which means that it is time for all of our special horror bonus episodes. We've been doing these all month. They've been a lot of fun. We talked about David Cronenberg's The Fly. We had a Dark Man commentary for its uh, homage to Universal Movie Monsters. And last week, we talked about the Lethal Ladies of Horror, a subject that one of our guests is very fond of. Uh, and this week, we're kind of continuing that trend by talking female horror directors. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of horror films that have all been directed by women. And we'll address that very topic, too, before we kind of get to the individual picks we have. But joining us for this uh, special horror-themed topic we have from Why So Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast is Brandon Peters. Hello. From Why So Blue, it's Jason Coleman. Mm, hello. And uh, subbing in for Jimmy O this week, we have from uh, Coming Soon and Superhero News, it is uh, Sabina Graves. Hey, everyone. Woo! And she carries the Jimmy O seal of approval. So yeah, we had to have her. Way back. We yeah, go way back. We had some. Uh, we had some last minute shuffling. Like Abe had to bow out the last second. Jimmy had to bow out. Uh, but he and Jason, you guys came up with a solution for this very topic. Yes. Want to get into that a bit, uh, Jason? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, wh- one of the things that I was going to obviously start with when we did this podcast was, you know, I reached out to the various female writers and would love to have one on the show. And I thought, nah, I want to get one. So it was wonderful that Sabina was able to join us for this podcast because obviously, you know, I am a big fan of female, uh, you know, filmmakers in general, but especially females in horror because I, I'm a big genre guy. But uh, it's interesting, to, I think, to also have a female perspective you know on the genre on you know current and past filmmakers and stuff and and sort of get the take on that uh, which i think is really important but there's a lot of interesting um stuff in the news right now about female filmmakers especially in horror because there was a a recent jason blum article that kind of uh touched upon it where they asked him about you know how about some of the female filmmakers you know that you're working with because obviously they're doing some really interesting stuff over at blumhouse um doing some groundbreaking stuff um so they're sort of asking about that and he said there wasn't really a lot of female filmmakers and of course there was been a ton of great lists that uh that different uh you know female especially female writers have come up with of of great female filmmakers that, that are out there and i think there's a lot there's a lot of known ones and there's a lot of unknown ones or lesser known ones that if you do a little homework they're out there so i'm excited to touch upon those i'm excited to discuss it and uh excited to examine it all the the topic that you brought up jason about Jason Blum could not have been more well timed than this episode. Yeah. We, right. you know, Jimmy, Jimmy, Brandon, Abe, you and I, we all try to we we try to you know come up with a schedule for the shows that we want to do for these horror episodes. You know, kind of right. you know, so we have some time to do some research and what have you. And we had female horror directors was you know part of the plan from the get go. But Jason Blum last week was like, you know what, <laughs> let me put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> so. Like the day of Halloween's release or the day before? It was, yeah, it was no, like, it was the day, the day of the premiere, I think, actually. The movie premiere happened the exact same day as his statement. So he totally had it coming during the red carpet. Yeah, it, And Sabina, Sabina, if you look on her Twitter account, which is really funny, she actually had put a couple of little things up there about it. Uh, you know, mention one mentioning, hey, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm doing some filmmaking stuff. I'll come in there and direct for you. And then another one with a great picture of uh, Snow White with a with a uh, with a with a stake through her heart. So it was kind of entire kinda, Snow White stake through her heart. Like, 
waking up and I was like, that's how I felt when I read that statement. Cause it was particularly the, the little piece about like, Oh, it's hard to find uh, you know, female filmmakers, especially ones that want to make horror films. And it's like, why? <laughs> yeah, no, I actually became a journalist on accident because uh, I was going to school for filmmaking and directing. I, I love genre films, superhero films, horror films. That's all this stuff I was able to see growing up. So when I became a blogger, then a journalist for various websites, that was, that's all I really talk about is genre. And um, at the same time, trying to like figure out ways to get my foot in the door, make movies. I made a few shorts. I have a horror short on um, my YouTube channel, Grinning Graves, uh, Grinning Gravestone Entertainment called Tehuti, which is about a family that finds out the real reason you hold your breath in a tunnel. I don't know if any of y'all played that game growing up where you'd hold your breath through the tunnel, make a wish. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do something a little spooky with that, and uh, that's uh, something that came out of um, a YouTube channel that I'm on two years ago. Very cool. I, I think I think it's odd, by the way, that he would, by the way, just give it to, that he would mention that, especially in LA, where they have mm-hmm. every year they have the Etheria Night, which basically highlights great shorts and a possible feature from women. And I just thought, man, this guy's got to do a little more homework if I know more than he does in terms of that stuff. He needs to go out more. That's quite, it, it came quite out of the blue, because I feel like Blum, to me, I mean, I don't know that, I know, like, Jimmy knows him pretty personally, he's interviewed him a bunch of times, but it's like, it seems like Blum, you know, the leader of Blumhouse would be a bit more familiar, and, I mean, offhand, I could name at least 15 movies that I know are horror films directed by women, and it's like, really? This is, like, one of the areas you're you're lacking in? That's uh, Yeah, that's there's a even a, a an, an anthology that came out last year called XX, and there were right. two female right. directors mm-hmm. on, or, like, the whole thing was made by female directors. It was all genre, all horror, and there's a lot of options there. Um, going back to Jason, I've actually interviewed him a few times, but even before I interviewed him, I did a four-month stint as an intern. At you did, yeah. Mm. yeah. At Blumhouse, yeah. Yeah, I worked alongside Chelsea Peters, who is currently directing uh, Satanic Panic for Fangoria. And uh, she was his executive assistant for years. And it was funny because she was one of the people who got linked uh, or or mentioned a lot during that whole Twitter thing about uh, his statement. So it was a little funny that he kind of blanked. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it was also good because what it did is it put out you know, stuff into the forefront about uh, what great female filmmakers there, you know, especially the ones that work in the genre, uh, where they are and who they are. There was one article here um, on Variety on October the 18th that was pretty good. It was about 15 women horror, female horror directors that he should add to his list. But the one that I really like is the one on uh, AV Club uh, by Katie Reif. And it's it's mm-hmm. 10 female uh, horror directors um, for Jason Blum, who seems like he has trouble finding them. And there's some really just odd, awesome and interesting choices is there a females that I, I've never heard of that I actually wanted to go out and watch some of their work. So to me, I, I love, I don't know about him, but I'm a Jason who loves being schooled. So if you know something that I don't, I want to see it. I want to watch it. Well, here's some fun news in relation to all of that. Just today, um, you know, as we're about to you know, go through this whole episode, Orion hired Roxanne Benjamin, the director of Southbound, to direct the remake of Night of the Comet. Wow. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Nice. Okay. Yeah, she's an interesting choice, definitely. Very cool. Okay, good, nice. 
I like I like that Jason's like I didn't oh, see the news today, so no, I dropped these cool. on him, and he'd be like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> no, it's cool. Listen, I'm, I'm. That's the thing that's funny is is except for maybe the two movies that I named my kids after. I'm if a remake is good and you got something new to say and it's awesome and it's great, I'm all for it, man. I'm definitely not a movie snob. I'm definitely a movie lover, so I'm always rooting for stuff to be good. So. Well, it, as Brandon very much knows, I, I'm not against remakes. Right. One of my favorite movies. quotes. So <laughs> I, throw, I yeah. throw that out there all the time, and I'm like, "Quote." I go as Aaron Neuer says, because it's a good. It, I mean, it's perfect. It's on my. It's on my legacy board of quotes that I have. That's that's. Well, we should uh, we should get into it here. I feel like we'll discuss the. It's weird to say the concept of women directing horror films, since that's really reductive. But I feel like we'll talk about the kind of the elements that you know th that perspective brings to horror films um, as we kind of go through the different choices that we all have uh, to to go through. But before that, I wanted to, I fa I wanted to do a little bit of research um, in in uh, where uh, women kind of fall in line and other in the genre and other capacities. And I wanted to talk about some writers for a second. So I, I have a list. I think there's a number of notable uh, female horror writers, uh, and obviously Shirley Jackson's one and you have the, the house and hunt the haunting of hill house it's there's like three different haunting titles it's always hard to, <laughs> to not confuse those uh, but among other things shirley jackson's the, the author of that book you have mary shelley obviously with frankenstein what have you and rice um still churning out books as far as i know daphne de Maur, uh who wrote uh rebecca the birds and nice. don't look now a number of yeah. notable films uh susan susan hill who wrote the woman in black and uh, and I, I, I found out about this one today. Nancy Kilpatrick, who writes a number of genre-based films, including a series of books that are set in the Jason X universe. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is like, what? Wow. That's a thing? Yeah, wow. it's a young adult series set in the Jason X universe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it came out after. And it's funny because um, back in the 90s, which I have a couple of them, they did a, uh, they did a young adult uh, run of like just Friday the 13th books that are like worth a bunch now, these little paperback things. I think there was like four of them. And uh, they're just about people who find Jason's mask and become like possessed by him. But they're like teen books trying to keep up with like Fear Street and Goosebumps type things back in the day. And I think in Halloween came out with one too. Like, oh, you're doing this Friday the 13th? Here you go. And the first Halloween book was called The Scream Factory. And Scream Factory's first release was... Halloween two and three, so that's kind of interesting to us. But hmm. yeah, and then Jason X came out and they said, "Hey, let's do this again." Earth two, Jason X like hardcore teen novels, crazy. And there's still not a Scream Factory Jason X release, so I mean, you can't <laughs> hey, you can't win every battle. Warner Brothers and them are teaming up now. It could happen. It's just just a matter of time. <laughs> the the new line box set of, of Friday I'm the Thirteenth. It's my hope for the the unrated cut of Jason Goes to Hell to to get on Blu-ray because when they did the box set they went theatrical and my favorite kill in the entire series is in the uncut of Jason Goes to Hell. So. Mm. Well, yeah, I just wanted to go through a few writers. Or obviously, there's a, a lot. There's a lot more, um, but I want to go through ones that I think have uh, have either books or screenplays that are you know fairly notable. Another one is Caroline uh, Caroline Thompson. She actually has Welcome to Marwin coming out, and um, it was one of those like late discoveries. Today I learned a while back that uh, she wrote um, Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, and I believe the first Adam's Family. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, like you think of those films, and then it, it totally makes sense as far as the the tone and the characters and how endearing and yet like spooky and fun they are. I uh, I'd like to add uh, Elisa uh, uh, Brigante. She um, is an Italian uh, screenwriter, but she wrote uh, 
did some work with Lucio Fulci, and she did Zombie, House by the Cemetery, Manhattan Baby, and she did uh, A Blade in the Dark, uh, which was a Lamberto Bava film. But those are all like really notable Italian horror films from back in the 80s. And- oh, nice. Well, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of share the wealth beyond just directors because there's you know, plenty of genre-based material that's all been you know developed in some capacity by, by you know female filmmakers, writers, what have you. So by the by, by by the way, real quick, real quickie, let me throw out for filmmakers since we're diving into that. Uh, two real notable ones when I was doing some research was the the great Ida Lupino, of course, who was a famed actress, but also a, you know a filmmaker. Her movie, 1953 movie, the uh, the Hitchhiker, was kind of considered what, uh, the first kind of creepy American noir kind of movie directed by a woman. And uh, I watched it. Oh, it's pretty awesome. It's got a nice creepy performance by William Tallman. He's kind of this psychopathic. I feel like he's like he's like the Rudger Hauer version. In, of the in the hitcher kind of thing so I, I, great one it's a good yeah it's a good thing that i have a, a set of alternates because that was one of my picks on oh. the list because i also i also i also watched i also watched i watched the hitchhiker today because it's only it's it's 70 minutes it's on youtube because it's in public domain right. so it's easy to watch and it's a solid thriller yeah. like it it's a it's like really good like you said it's it's a it's a noir it's a thriller it's like a survival horror more than anything because yeah. it's about just a guy holding two people hostage for an entire movie <laughs> No, it's fine. That's that's why I have backups. That's, I do th- I do this very much on purpose. She also did the Twilight Zone uh, episode, The Masks. And the other one I would mention is anybody have Alice Guy Blanche? Anybody? No. Okay. Nope. So she made over a thousand films, and uh, she was one of the first female di- female directors to take to tackle a horror film. Uh, she made adaptations of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's stuff, The Pit and the Pendulum, as well as the, the Monster and the Girl and the Vampire. And it said between 1896 and 1906, she was one of the only female uh, kind of filmmakers, especially doing horror. Hitchcock had cited her as an inspiration. So a lot of there was a lot of great history. Um, uh, that we shouldn't have to point out that should be clear as day. Uh, that was one of the things about this podcast as well is is we are highlighting the works of great female filmmakers, but hopefully there will be a day where we're just hiding the great works, highlighting the great works of just directors or or filmmakers. But while we have this pulpit, uh, and uh, I'm I'm more than proud to uh, to highlight the great works by female filmmakers. It, it's crazy how like this is a different topic, and I won't go too far into this, but it's crazy how involved women were in filmmaking. Yeah from the get-go and how things regressed um, very heavily. Like, there were a lot of film, female filmmakers back mm-hmm. in the, in the, yeah. one, in the silent era and the very early eras of film. Um, they also... Uh, editing was a huge thing for... Uh, I mean, look at, like, Thelma Schumacher, still doing it now. Yeah. I mean, it's... And somehow, things just went backwards. Well, well yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, for sure. Like, Gina Davis talks about it all the time, where she was like, yeah, you know, there's that sweet spot in the 90s where... She was in a lot of these very, like, feminist movies and kind of, you know, going out there with League of Their Own and and all the films that she was popping in. And then all of a sudden there was that, like, weird regression. So it's Mm -hmm. like, how do we maintain um, accountability to make sure that doesn't happen again? It's the same thing I point out with, like, uh, like, uh, cable sitcoms where in the 90s, you had, uh, you had Living Single. You had, I mean, Cosby Show. You had a lot. You had the Waynes, but you had a lot of like uh, uh, black TV shows. And then that really changed somehow in the in the two thousands, where it's like ABC has like, look at all these white families on weekdays. Well, it's yeah, like, okay. and 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 like back then, we just they just got put out like normal. Yeah. Whereas today, today we're having to go. Hey, look, it's a black show. It's a, uh-huh. it's a directed by a woman. It's like, yeah, it's the one thing that's like that. And then, like, back then, it was just coming out naturally, and no one pointed to that as a selling point. 
It is weird that they hired Animal to announce all these shows these days. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> What's interesting, I remember there was a documentary, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a very specific documentary on how women had kind of started Hollywood because all the men had gone off to war and they needed to figure mm-hmm. out something to do and they kind of started it. And of course, once it became a money-making endeavor, all of a sudden it was like, oh, no, 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 we're coming in and taking over. So there's a real rich history of, you know, of that we owe to women for creating a great, uh, you know, movies and editing and filmmaking and everything. So I'm glad we can, we can, we can focus on them in this episode. Well, let's get to, let's get to, uh, before we start, I'd like, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, (laughs) he's not here, but I'd like to pour one out for Jimmy O. That, yeah. Unlike oh. unlike unlike him, that'll be the last time I push Michael Myers. <laughs> oh. On to Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, Jimmy's not here because he's giving tummy rubs to Nick Castle right now. Like, that's oh, why, there you that's go. why that's he didn't show up for today's podcast. Right. Yeah, he said he had something scheduled, and that was it's like okay. Uh, all right, well, Brandon. Let's start with you. What is your, what's your first pick in this in this list here? All right, my first pick is. Um, uh, Rachel Talele, she uh, so she's you know on her film resume, uh, it starts with Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. But like she grew up through the Elm Street um, process. She was like a production assistant to producer, like all the way up, and then she beat Peter Jackson for uh, director, writer, director of Freddy's Dead. It was between the two of them. Uh, Who? Yeah. <laughs> that, he, that's awesome. He made some nature movies with these little guys. Um, okay. uh, but she she beats him out because, I mean, she worked her tail off to get up there. And during this time, too, up to that, she was a second unit director on Return to Horror High. She was an editing apprentice on uh, House and Sorority Rose. So she was esteemed in horror at the time. And she, you know, as they finished Elm Street, they gave it to the person who had, you know, worked up it was on every film and she was responsible for a lot of it and if you go you know funny story like she looks like uh, if you look back at the production photos of like the old elm streets she looks like you know when uh 30 rock would flash back to like old liz lemon stuff she looks like old school liz lemon it's kind of funny uh but she followed that up with ghost in the machine uh she did a very genre piece with tank girl back when comic books weren't you know you had batman and that and then everything else that came after um, and then she became a prolific TV director, like huge. She uh, did a lot of Doctor Who, including Capaldi's uh, send off episode. She's on Sherlock. She's hit the CW up with Riverdale, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl. Uh, she did Iron Fist and Aaron. I'm going to note season two, Iron Fist. Oh, so the good season. Iron yes. Fist. Uh, she's done Dead Zone, uh, Ally McBeal, like just tons of TV. But she like had her hand in her and while she's it's a limited list but i think when you look sadly a lot of these women directors their horror output can be limited but uh, she came up through it through the elm streets uh she did one of them uh not my favorite uh and i don't know about a lot of people's favorites uh but hers had johnny depp in it but yeah it's i think she's been she was a good force in like production and you know has outputted in a lot of genre filmmaking which includes horror and that's where she came up through one thing i would definitely like to point out in terms of the tv because yeah she has a wealth of tv but let me tell you something if you really look at i mean i looked at every single i've got like 20 you know 30 women on this list and a lot of them 
are just doing television after doing a couple of films. So right, yeah. the, the fact that that happens, I'm sensing maybe they're not, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but I'm sensing maybe they're not choosing it, that maybe they're kind of getting relegated a little bit to TV. And I think it's a shame because I think Rachel is a great director. A Tank Girl is one of my favorites. Um, and she's she's even a UB, you know, at University of uh, British Columbia. She's a film professor up there. She, she this year for Etheria Film Night, she was presented with the uh, Inspiration Award. Um, she's a great director, and I would have, I would love to see more stuff from her. So, yeah. um, again, well, uh, nothing wrong with the TV stuff, but I feel like a lot of these directors are getting relegated to TV after doing a couple of of of, uh, of films, and I'd love to see them do more work. And you know what, Jason could absolutely, Jason Blum could absolutely pull some of these people out and go, you know what, let's give them a great movie to do. Mm-hmm. And I think what we were talking about last week, we pointed out that maybe with directing and writing, like the acting, there's just better roles and better scripts or productions available that I could do this piece of crap or I could do this really good television show or this hot script for this really good episode uh, as opposed to this. Because like we were talking about women, like, you know, they have these awesome roles on TV, these big, important, deep roles, great characters, and then they go play wife in action movie. You know, like that's maybe that's the same on the production side as well. It's just so weird because um, I, though, I, I do feel like it's like they're getting relegated to TV as well. Um, but there should be definitely more women and people of color helming uh, bigger things. I, I think of, for example, uh, John Chu was offered by Netflix, like a big giant deal for Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. For all three of the movies to be done, everyone would have been set and stuff. And he kind of had this approach to where he was like, you know, but it kind of gets lost, like when you get relegated to those arenas. Um, but it was very important for him to have Crazy Rich Asians be this big movie from a big studio as a statement, because that's what people go and see. It's mm-hmm. far more accessible, I would say, than a lot of like uh, streaming services. You know, there's a lot of people who still rent movies you know in like lower income areas and stuff especially people of color so for it to be on that big of a stage and be as successful as it was goes to show that like if you also give a female director and a female director of color a film to have that sort of same opportunity then we will have a much more um inclusive and better i think film environment Nice. And by the way, let me let me let me uh, follow up on that. That was a huge gamble that John took about uh, the deal between because it was the net between the Netflix deal and the Warner Brothers deal. For me, I would have totally gone with the Netflix deal. It was like twice as much. It was more movies. But he took a he took a gamble and it paid off. So good for him, man. He stepped up. Um, Let's uh, let's um, (laughs) let's move on to Sabina. Sabina, what's your what's your first pick here? Okay, so my first pick, I would say it's Jen and Sylvia Saska. Uh, they count as one because they're a, a horror <laughs> sister duo and they're twins and so it's twice the fun and gore yeah no I've actually been following them for years and um, uh, I love American Mary that's uh, one of their films that they did years and years ago uh, I, I like to think it has a, little, a slight cult following maybe um, and there's someone or they're, they're both people who like for example when uh, a lot of names were put in the hat for the Deadpool sequel. I was like, they should get a Deadpool movie. They they love 
if you follow them online, like they're they just fangirl mm-hmm. for superheroes and Deadpool. And I was just like, how is it that like they're not being asked to be in the room? You know, um, aren't they writing for Black Widow now? Yes. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, not the movie, the comic. They're writing for oh, the comic. Okay. Yeah, they're I was like, the wow. Comic. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool too. Their next release is a uh, uh, Cronenberg uh, remake of uh, Rabbit, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, that's a great one. Nope. Yep. We, 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 Go ahead. We brushed on them last week just out of just because they're such a force. And then Aaron said, shut up, wait till next week. So glad someone <laughs> yeah, I, sh- them I shunned up. Brandon for mentioning it earlier. <laughs> yep. I, I almost said both their names and he's like, hey. And, and I like See No Evil too. It's like a just good straight on slasher. I like I enjoyed it. Good, yeah, but, like I, but like but like I said, Chapter Isabella steals that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, and like they can handle like a, a franchise IP like that demonstrated they could do a sequel and uh, if not better than the first one. <laughs> Definitely. I was gonna say their ABCs of of, of death uh, segment was really really tasty too. Are they in the first one or the, the second, second one? ABC's ABC's the second too. one. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. that. I never saw one because I just heard most yeah. of them were bad, but I heard most of two was good, so I watched two. Right. No, I was satisfied with two. Uh, there's some sick stuff in that movie. Uh, I'll go next because I like making Jason go last so he can look at his feet. I'm good. Um, I have uh, Antonia Bird, who directed a film that Brandon knows I'm a big fan of, Ravenous. Yeah. Um, I will scratch that off my list. Mm-hmm. It's also why I wanted to put that up at the top of my list because I wanted to mention Ravenous really quickly. I, um, I am a huge fan of Ravenous. You can hear a lot of my thoughts and Brandon and Cullen over on the Colts in the Cavalcade podcast that I guested on for that episode. Um, this is the cannibal black comedy western horror suspense uh, romance. Uh, all of those things. Uh, Antonio Bird, she was brought in kind of last minute. They had an original director who just was not working. Um, and Robert Carlyle, one of the stars of the film, he suggested Antonio Bird because he's been collaborating with her a lot at that time and whatnot. And she came in and she crushed it with this movie. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. this is a movie that has like very little budget to work with um, and goes for a very ambitious plot uh, written by Ted Griffin, who would go on to do like Ocean's Eleven and Matchstick Men. Um, and you have Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle as at two different ends of the spectrum as far as how to survive in the 1840s Sierra Nevadas. And yeah, this movie is a ride. It's like, it's a vampire movie, I guess, but it's a cannibals, but it's quirky and it's funny, uh, but it's also, you know, tense and very gory. And yeah, I am all about what happened in this movie. And if I had to add a thought about what I thought Bird, who uh, passed away back in 2013, by the way, uh, due, to, uh, due to cancer. Uh, but if I had to th- think of what she brought to a film like Ravenous, I think it's that key relationship between Pierce and Carlisle. Because if I think if you tilt it a couple degrees a different direction, you can see a romance forming there as far as how they're bonding over mm-hmm. the things that take place um, and, and how to survive, um, which involves eating people. Uh, and there's a, a sense of mournfulness and regret obviously going off uh, Pierce's character based off things he had to do while, while Carlisle is this person that's just free to live um, now that he's discovered this unique power he gets from the things that he does and putting them together and seeing in a, like, oh, a shit. Of... <laughs> did you touch the belly yeah <laughs> see but seeing them together especially in their kind of final scenes their final confrontation together um, I, I I think there's there's a lot to read into what's going on in those directions for those actors. And I think uh, 
go goes well with uh, what Bird is doing with the majority of this film. I I, I think it's a a great a great watch, and there's just a lot to admire about it all around. Nice. Yeah. No. It's it's uh, it's a it's it, it. I remember um, interviewing Robert Carlyle as well, and we did talk in depth about you know the change and how that was made on that movie, and and I think she just coming in you know that late in the game, and I absolutely agree. She knocked it out of the park on that one. The the commentary is a lot of fun too, which I I listened to way before Scream Factory's like finally we're going to put it on Blu-ray for you guys. I'm like, mm. oh. But like the, she talks a lot about the end specifically where they just had no money and they're just like, let's just make up a fight. Let's just, let's just, let's just put these guys together. We'll put all the stuff on the ground and we'll just see where it goes. Like there's like, there was an original like big ambitious plan to have a big fire going on. And it's like, we don't have, we don't have time for this. So we'll just, we'll just stage the fight the best we can. And it, it, it's a, it's a good ending. Like I, I really love the ending to it. The movie, there's like a. There's a double comeuppance that takes place where it's like, oh, that's fun. That's a fun way to go. And I can't, I can't mention Ravnus without mentioning the amazing score by Michael Neiman and Damon Alburn, Damon Alburn of uh, of Blur. Um, it's a, it's a, along with the offbeatness of the movie, the score is so out there and different. And I, I love that main theme for that movie. So yeah, Ravnus was my pick there. Uh, Jason, what's your, mm. what's your first pick? Okay, well, I've, I've got a see. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I got a lot of obscure ones, but let me get a, a major one out of the way. This isn't in any order or anything, just so that you know, if somebody doesn't grab it or whatever, and I can go with my my odder picks. But obviously, you know, uh, right at the head, I would have to say the great Catherine Bigelow uh, for for yeah for Near Dark. Um, you know, personally, personally, Catherine Bigelow for almost every film she's yeah. ever done. I've I've been a huge, huge Catherine Bigelow fan for so long. Got a chance to meet her just before. Uh, the Hurt Locker came out. We didn't know how that was going to do or whatever, but I was so excited when I saw that movie because there was just so much of Catherine's style in that movie, but in in the in the midst of such a great story. So that style is steeped in Near Dark. Near Dark is a is a is a is a fun, awesome. I mean, it's it's and it's pure that that the the, the everything about that movie to me is pure '80s. You've got the Tangerine Dream score. Uh, you've got some of the greatest uh, you know '80s actors from Jeanette. Go- a lot of people from Terminator Two, Jeanette Goldstein, Lance Henriksen. Um, you've Bill got Paxton. Bill oh. Paxton. Yeah, exactly. Tim Thomerson, you know, I mean, all the 80s greats that I'm a huge fan of. Um, but the style in that movie, it's 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 a huge precursor to what Catherine could do and 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 could 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 visually as a painter you know she started off as a painter really brought that canvas to film and it's interesting that she sort of started with that and then each movie sort of gets a little bit more serious you know you starts to go through blue steel and point break and then the, the, the weight of water we weight all of love water. and know yes yes yeah. <laughs> not all of them are good but but a lot of most of them are but even if something isn't good it still looks good that's the difference mm-hmm. with the Catherine Bigelow film so um so yeah I, I I'm I'm such a huge fan of that movie and I, I was so proud. It was funny because I remember when I went to that thing to interview her, I had uh, a Near Dark Style 2, Style B poster uh, that I'd had since I was a kid. And I put that in front of her and she was like, oh, my God. And the, the writer, Mark Boyle, was there, you know, was from the Hurt Locker. And he said, he said, where did you get that? And I said, I've had it since I was a kid. And he said, you had this folded pristine like this since you were a kid. And I was like, oh, yeah. So Catherine. Which, Bic- one's, the, which one's the Style B poster? Style B poster is has all of them on it. It's not just the oh, Bill, okay. Bill Paxton with the lights coming through. It's all of them. Them. So I think that's a really cool. I mean, they're both cool. Posters, that's my favorite I, vampire movie, and and definitely one of like the most influential pieces of cinema I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter. Uh, random side note, but people were like, "Oh, if you could do the Criterion notes for any movie, what would it be?" And I'm like, "Near Dark." 
<laughs> very nice, very nice. But yeah, so that's that's what I'd have to go with first is is the great Catherine Bigelow, the great Near Dark, and I'm always excited to see whatever Catherine puts out in any genre. So all right, Brandon, let's uh, move back to you. What's your next pick here? Hello, uh, my next pick is, and I and I hope I pronounce her name right. Um, it'd be uh, is it Anya Lily Amipour who did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really cool, moody kind of throwback, very modern little vampire tale that I really liked back in 2014. We've uh, we've weirdly picked three poor westerns in a row. If you look at it that way, <laughs> um, you no, know, she. I mean, it's a it's a hell of a. Was that like she did a lot of shorts? I think before that, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it was. I think even yeah, even a girl walks home at night uh, alone at night was a, a short. It was really a short, yeah. Before that, but um, I was just really taken with it. It's really impressive uh, feature film uh, debut. Uh, she you know has gone on to um, <laughs> TV again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she did yeah, she did an episode of Castle Rock, and then I I haven't watched Castle Rock yet. But uh, she did uh, did do an episode of Legion, which at many times could be considered horror. That one kind of just yeah. runs the gamut of things, which that's a hell of a show. So anyone who directs Legion, I you know, that's a hell that's a that's some good stuff. Um, she did another horror movie. I haven't seen it called The Bad Batch, but I'm I'm mainly here for Girl Walks Home Alone at Night because she's a more modern. She's a she's a I think Iranian director, uh, but you know, making her way through once you get TV, maybe TV's just got better taste that they're grabbing people that they're well, a, the show like asking, Legion is cer- a show like Legion is certainly Legion cinematic. To... I would watch Legion yeah. on a big screen like that. Like I'm not, not to put down like the CW shows, but like there's certainly a house style when it comes to those TV shows where mm-hmm. Legion is like every week it's crazy because somebody else brought their auteurist vision to it. So, there, yeah, like... there's nothing. I mean, you can't there. You can say next week on Legion, but you have no idea what's coming next week on Legion. Like <laughs> you show me a commercial that I mean, they did like stuff with like like they did that silent movie uh part of an episode it just that show is so crazy in the best way possible i'd, I'd watch a pos- panos cosmatos directed oh an episode of why are they not reaching wow. yeah. why has he not already directed one like what <laughs> yeah. legion could be inspired by panos <laughs> have you seen legion jason i haven't no <laughs> bump it up your two to watch i mean not saying like okay. rush out but I mean, at some point i think you'll dig it i know right. I, I know you don't do a lot of tv but that's one i think because it's so it's so every episode has its own character and it's just it's crazy and it's an x-men show but you'll never think oh x-men <laughs> i mean it and looks also, like like let's aubrey plaza a latina actress shine in like very crazy ways like in that episode you mentioned where it was a silent film i was like she could play the joker like yeah. she, yeah, yeah, like the incredible range on that girl. Yeah, she's. I mean, yeah, she's fantastic with it. And I mean, there. I mean, one week. I mean, it starts out looking like a Wes Anderson type deal, and then to where you get to later, it's just. I mean, it's crazy. Like it, yeah, there's like Cronenbergian body horror yeah. going on yeah. in episodes. Yeah. 
Very cool. Yeah. By, by, by the way, for the movie to and the reason I don't watch a ton of TV is just because I can't watch as many movies as I do without oh, yeah. while watching TV. But I would definitely yeah. check it out based on what you guys said. Yeah, um, I was going to say, as far as Anna's, Anna's goes, though, the girl, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is an amazing five-star film, as far as I'm concerned. It was on my top ten list for that year. I did see her second film called The Bad Batch. Uh, the first 10, 15 minutes are pure Anna. The rest of it's really hard to take, and that could be... And it didn't do well. And that could be one of the reasons why maybe she got relegated to TV. I do think that it seems like a little bit of a pattern here where we see a great movie coming out from a female filmmaker. We see her second movie and maybe it's not as well received. And all of a sudden she's going into TV. I think we should be giving some of these women a a, a way more of a fair shake than they're being given. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is an amazing piece of work. As I said, the first 15 minutes of The Bad Batch is just pure Anna. I know she's got some good stuff to give there. So I would, she's one I would definitely love to see Jason Blum pick up and give something great to. Let's mm-hmm. not let it to be. Let's not say that she's been relegated to TV. I mean, it's like she did a couple right. episodes this year. Well, I don't like, see any other made, movies she, on her. On let her me, thing let, let me finish. She, she made a, she made her first movie. She right. made, or her first the, the big. She made a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Then she made the Bad Batch two years later. Right. I'm seeing right now she's uh, she's working on her script for her third feature, cool. uh, Blood Moon. Cool. And let's not let's not like be saying like TV like it's a bad word. That that landscape right. has changed. No, but I'm um, saying she's. That's not like she's like been doing like nonstop yeah, TV I mean, for, like, for a decade. Right, 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 gonna, right, yeah. I mean to bring up the one of the big elephants in the room of all of the drama with a lot of the Me Too thing. Uh, Brian Singer gets to make movies, gets to make right. movies, and produce shows and be on shows, and still has a career. So there's that. I mean, it it be. It would only be fair if um you know female directors got a chance to make good movies get the opportunity to fail, but then get another movie and then also direct on some of these shows. Right. right. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, can't I mean, that. I can't talk to the TV stuff, but I, w- I just based on a girl walks home alone at night. I think Anna's going to, Anna could do amazing films. So I'd love to see what she's, whatever she's going to do next, as far as a feature goes. Yeah. I mean, if a female director did sucker punch, she wouldn't be given Superman. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Well, uh, Sabina, what's your what's your next pick? Karen Kusama is my next pick, and that goes back to the conversation we're having about that. Like, she directed Aeon Flux, and then there's a giant like like years in between her movies. You know, the next one she did was Jennifer's Body, which is a completely underrated film. Everyone slept on that movie when it came out because you had a leading lady that people kind of just put in a box of like, oh, she's hot, she can't act. You know, uh, Megan Fox is. I'm obviously talking about and I think in that film she turns in a really great performance Um, it has an amazing relationship between her character and um, Amanda Seyfried thank you Amanda Seyfried's character and it like it for me it feels like in the same wheelhouse as a movie like Heather's and Jawbreaker and it was so much fun but for whatever reason got caught up in all that bad rap and like even going uh, into discussing like Megan Fox, for example, you have an actor who, you know, is seen one way and then she gets the opportunity to kind of like flex what she's good at. And yet she's still seen as like, oh, she's just a hot chick in these movies. And yet, on the other hand, we have an actor like Channing Tatum, who also came up not being a really great actor. He was really good looking. He got he got the chance to flex his comedic chops on 21 Jump Street. And then immediately after that, 
he was embraced as like, oh, he's getting better. Let's put him in more movies. Let's put him in dramas. And yet we didn't give Megan Fox that same opportunity. It's very similar to kind of like how what's going on with like female directors and creatives in the industry at large. I, I want to I wonder, too, like, was there a do you think there was a, a little bit of a they liked her, but that like Diablo Cody, was there a little bit of like Diablo Cody resentment going with Jennifer's I, I, body too? I, it, like, that's where I kind of place a lot of the like the marketing one to play up. It's from the writer of Juno. It's going to have all the quirks of Juno. And when you get to that, you know, the uh, the natural Oscar bat- backlash that comes through a lot of films, it's like, oh, we don't like Juno anymore because it had weird dialogue or whatnot. And because oh no, the no, they, selling... they they played a lot of people like because I w- I you know back I was this is when I was living in Los Angeles with Juno and a lot of things I saw with talking to people out at like bars of like they were turning on her it was that whole um gatekeeping bullshit um where guys like she wrote about a lot of cool stuff that normally at the time like oh like guys like this like dario argento what does she know about dario Argento? she really like guys i would hear guys talking about like she probably just had some cool boyfriend stuff and not giving her the credit of actually knowing this stuff and that was like i was like how do you know that like why are you projecting that onto her and i think there was some just backlash with her writing not like with the same thing as like a girl who cosplays as something getting a million questions yeah asked. like it was the same thing with her and a lot of the thing the cool like the stuff that she revealed like being a sonic youth fan all this stuff in the juno script was getting turned on by toxic male stuff well uh, yeah that was totally sucks and i recently saw tully and i thought that script was great i like Tully a lot yeah i've I liked diablo cody stuff i've been a big fan of her but there's been like an unfair but and giving her the oscar like cement they like juno and then all of a sudden like there's the oscar now let's turn on stuff like i don't know i think there's a there's a bit of that kind of gatekeeping that came with diablo cody at this stage i think it's it's the kind of thing that comes in between like we just talked about how things regressed from like the 90s and jennifer's body this movie and you know diablo cody's like her claim to fame it came around in the mid 2000s so you could say it's ahead of its time um as far as how how embraced something like this would be a movie like jennifer's body would probably be more well embraced today than it was in 2009 just given where things are right now for sure oh yeah no but i would Oh, but I would say if you look at if you look at Karen's body of work, it's I think it's one of those examples not only of diversity in terms of picking projects, but also in terms of going from TV to movies. Because yeah. how, I mean, a girl girl fight to Aeon Flux to Jennifer's Body to The Invitation, which is a totally awesome hidden yeah. yeah. So all a bunch of different TV shows that she's got on here to XX to the destroy to Destroyer, which is getting like yeah. these. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing all That's these this, so this buzz. So so good for her, man. She's uh, she's definitely going outside the box and doing what what, what you know a, a, a body of work and a, and a style and a diversity and keeping it you know going between TV and movies that I think is really impressive. She's a, she's great. Yeah, she's got a body of work that should be one of the best resumes at like the the superhero. Uh, directing meetings, but it's like, oh, let's yeah. get like, here, Josh Trank. Here you go. You know, like, <laughs> like since we're on the topic, and the invitation was on my list, but I'll relegate it to another back. I'll just switch it around because I do want to talk about the invitation a bit because that movie is pretty terrific. Pretty, um, oh, yeah, love it. With uh, with uh, not Tom Hardy, Logan Marshall Green in the lead there, like it's. It's a, he's it's carving a, his own path. He's carving. Yeah, that's I mean, it's so great. I was like, oh, it's it's Logan. I'm like, I'm the, that's it. I mean, I'm in, man. <laughs> he's, 
he's got a he's got a nice genre resume so building between great. Prometheus, The Invitation, and now Upgrade. Like he's like, oh, this guy just likes doing this kind of thing. I like it. and Spider Man Homecoming, of course. You know, he's the shocker. He was the shocker. He was, he the, was shocker. the shocker. He's shocker one. He was shocker <laughs> one. But no, yeah, The Invitation. That's a movie I was just like, this is great. I'm so into the kind of slow burn thrills of what's going on here. It has what's his name, the guy that he's now on. He's now, speaking of uh, Shirley Jackson. He's he's the star of uh, Haunting of Hill House. Uh, Michelle Huseman. Um, as the kind of like, I guess we call it cult leader of the of the evening <laughs> mm-hmm. at least. Um, but yeah, no, that movie sings as far as what it wants to do, and it has an ending that's like an all timer as yeah. far as final final shots go. Like, there's so much good stuff about that. So yeah, Karen Gazaba, um, she's d- d- done a number of, of quality films at the Invitation, where that really stuck out to me uh, for sure. So with that out of the way, I guess I go to my next pick, um, which is Jennifer Kent for The Babadook, mm. uh, one of my personal favorite horror films of the past decade, um, if not uh, more. Uh, I'm still very much looking forward to what she does next. She has The Nightingale, which I know, I think it has a de- I think it debuted at some festivals um, already. Um, and I've, I've tried to stay away from any talk about this because I want to be surprised by what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but The Babadook... I so dug into this movie. I was very happy about this one. I I think it's an excellent horror film. I think it's an excellent drama. And so the idea, and that's that really works for me when you can make a movie that's like just as compelling as a drama as it is a horror film. Making all that come together in such a, a great way that's very rewatchable is very rewarding. I think Essie Davis, uh, the star of that film, should have gotten an Oscar nomination. She's incredibly good as the the mother that's going through mm-hmm. quite a bit. And speaking of mothers, uh, my mom watched the Bob. And we had we have a special podcast episode um, that, uh, we, we're, we were able to do uh, back in the day. I was very happy to be able to record that with her. What was her What was her, What was her take on the Babadook? Oh, she loved it. She loved the Babadook, and she would. And um, if if you're not clear on this, Jason, my mom was um, very very into genre and horror. Like nice. that. I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a more of a horror fan because of her. Nice. Um, she asked the uh, best question anyone ever asked about the Evil Dead. Mm. Where's the hole? <laughs> 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 that is yeah. stuck with me. <laughs> I think we talked about it on the commentary track, I believe, right? Yes. Um, yeah, uh, but no, the Babadook, uh, great movie. I was so impressed by the by the the con- the, the concept part mm-hmm. of the Babadook, and especially the book and everything that they actually had done, um, kind of an Indiegogo thing where they said, "Hey, listen, a lot of people are talking to us about this book, so if enough mm-hmm. people." put down that they want this book and want to pay and get this book will make it. And so they did. And, you know, Jennifer finished writing it and the guy who illustrated it for the movie finished illustrating it. And so I have in my collection, a complete, so do I. Yeah. Oh, you have it too. Cool. Yeah. The yep. complete <laughs> book of the Babadook. And it's, 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 it's very creative and awesome. It's, it's very it's cool they added to it too to like reflect the movie itself it's very it's very well done it's very big (laughs) i was was really impressed by how big this thing is it's (laughs) wrapped in like red uh red like velvet or covering whatever um but yeah it's it's a great uh but it's interesting because she's one of those ones who is right on the cusp because the babadook came out and it was hailed by everybody i remember friedkin you know who did the exorcist was just raving about it and so Mm -hmm. jason jason she's the one person that jason blum said you know i tried to get but of course, she's the one in high demand right now, so she can pick, pretty much on your second movie. You can pick whatever you want. So I'm I'm rooting for her. I'm hoping the Nightingale is going to be going to be a great piece of work. Yeah, no, me me too. Um, she was actually my 
first choice for someone to direct the next Batman standalone movie, just in how she was able to like treat that trauma and how it manifests itself in the, in the Babadook. I was like, that could be like, that would be a very interesting take on Bruce Wayne and him becoming Batman. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I can see that for sure. Uh, Jason, what's your next pick? Okay. So, so for me, this could be a controversial pick or uh, maybe not on everyone's pick, but uh, you know, uh, it's one of those ones where we started off a little flawed, but still interesting and then kind of got better. And, and then, but then I think delved into TV more and that's Jennifer Lynch. Um, you know, she started off with Boxing Helena, which I still think is a really good movie, except for the ending, because the ending kind of kneecapped the audience. So but before that, I think it's a really kind of creepy, twisted um, horror in its own way, again, dealing with body horror and obsession, things like that. She came out years later with a movie that I think is freaking five star uh, called Surveillance, which is a even creepier thriller um, with Bill Pullman and Julia Ormond. And I think that's a total little Forgotten Friday flick hidden gem. Um, she also did the movie, the creepy movie Chained with um, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, but she definitely went into TV stuff and she has done a plethora of TV stuff that's bigger than both of my arms. All good stuff. Like I remember watching The Walking Dead. It was season six, episode two called JSS. And it was kind of the episode where Carol was in uh, Alexandria and and sort of and the 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 the, the wolves guys, whatever, were uh, coming in and, and taking over the village. And she was like kind of like this one woman, uh, you know, uh, assassin. And it was it was an outstanding episode. I think Jennifer is an untapped talent. I think she's got some great stuff to give. I think she's got a great visual style. I think she's built for that genre. Um, she's a little more uh, she's like David but a little more focused so I think the genre kind of fits into her wheelhouse and I I, again she's done a ton of great television so I I wouldn't take anything away from that but I want to see more Jennifer Lynch movies that was a great episode of the walking dead i was just like thinking about the yeah, I, do, I do i do i do review the walking dead i was like yeah that was a good one the jss episode yeah. uh with the, where the wolves come in uh, I, I exactly remember that a oh, good pick for sure and brandon <laughs> sorry what's your next pick uh my next pick is i'm going uh i'm gonna go with she didn't, I, there's not much in terms of horror but uh, Amy Holden Jones, uh, mainly for the Slumber Party Massacre, uh, which is a funny thing because that one got she made like a satirical uh, movie, uh, play for comedy stuff and got like bashed for it being like anti-woman and all this stuff. And that, like proving some people didn't look at the credits to see who actually wrote and directed it. But she did it for Corman. It was fully her piece. And uh, it's one of the better uh, slasher, more different. Uh, different ones of the era because it's got more comedic elements, but it still plays uh, plays pretty much pretty good in the the gore department and some of the suspense stuff because of the comedy in it. Um, she also she also wrote the relic in the nineties. Like, uh, just real quick, I'm, I'm quite. Do we get a lot of like slasher comedy in the early eighties? Because yeah, like yeah, it's, we it's got. Um, it seems yeah, like there, it's fairly early on for that. There, yeah, no, there was. Um, uh, student bodies and like okay, yeah. Saturday right. the fourteenth and like all the like there's like there's about three or four of them at that time. Um, okay, student so it bo- is catching it is catching on rather quickly. As that, as... I mean, this one you could you could watch Slumber Party Massacre at, at some certain age and not or even now and probably not realize it's comedic because uh, she plays cheek. she plays it so straight. Uh, a lot of the times that it, it works. If you know it's a comedy, it's even funnier. If you don't, it's a pretty solid slasher. But no, it's it's pretty. I mean. It's a good movie. She, I mean, the second one is straight up more, more so horror comedy of the Slumber Party Massacre. But she's also been a pretty big voice and uh, vocal about, uh, you know, 
women in film and stuff like that. But all three of those movies are directed by women. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. She kicked it off. And it's it's just kind of funny the the reaction to that movie, um, not realizing it was a it was written and directed by a woman, because I think people thought at first, oh, my gosh. And they're like, no, it's a woman director. I'm like, oh, yeah, but who wrote it? I'm like the same woman who directed it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a lot of people there is. But that's like a seminal chapter in the, the early slasher boom. And she was, I think, the, like lone female director of a slasher movie, aside from the other sequels. Sequels. And what she, a, wrote, she wrote Mystic Pizza. Yeah, I was going to say, what a diverse, yeah. like, like not only, she only did four movies, okay, which she should have done more, but they're all completely different. Slumber Party Basketball. Yeah. Love, love letters, uh, uh, ro- uh, kind of a romantic drama, made to order, a comedy, and the rich man's wife, a thriller. It's kind of like all. Of, and then if you look at the stuff, I mean, she obviously uh, did a lot more as a writer, but I mean, she wrote Beth- Beethoven. Beethoven. She Beethoven. wrote, she all, wrote she, all the straight to video sequels too. Mystic Pizza. Yeah. You're like, what? <laughs> it's awesome. It's like <laughs> it's a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really funny because it's like now. It's so much easier. And I think, you know, going back to the whole Gina Davis saying that, like, you know, we need to make sure that we don't regress again. Um, I think the Internet has helped a lot because now we can pinpoint very quickly because of IMDb and like people on social media, like a lot of, you know, people in writers rooms, people who direct episodes of TV and movies. We all mostly have a presence on the Internet now so we can actually go and see what you know, what these people like to do. And like, it's, it's mm-hmm. so, it's so much more easier now to regardless of gender connect with creatives that we love and find them and lift them up and encourage them to be able to get funding. You know, like now we can like, we put Jason Blum on the spot on the internet. We're like, Hey, we want to see these women make more things. Yeah. Uh, I should note, by the way, I am writing all these films down to post um, with this episode. So people can keep track of the, uh, the various movies that we're listing off here. If you want to, you know, delve into the, the, the number of different quality films that we're referencing, much like I did last week. And I try to do every year for these. If that's it. Sabina, what's your next pick? Okay. So my next pick, uh, you've, y'all have already gone through like my, my, my other backups. I'm like pulling up, (laughs) <laughs> like who else I can talk about here? Um, well, my next pick is someone who is uh, actually I think they've mostly done shorts and they were on Crazy Ex Girlfriend the show. Uh, they worked on that and they recently were featured on Robert Rodriguez's reality show Rebel Without a Crew. Her name is Bola Ogun. I actually had the pleasure of working with her on her short film called The Water Phoenix, which is the story of a black mermaid. And it's definitely like an environmental commentary and it's really great. And it's uh, definitely was a pleasure to work on. And she actually got, I can't remember his name. um, She got the makeup artist of um, Beetlejuice and uh, was it Mermaids, the Daryl Hannah movie? Mm -hmm. Splash. 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 She got him to do the design for the mermaid tail and everything. It was really awesome. Um, but she can be seen on that Rebel Without a Crew show. She currently is funding uh, for the film she's going to direct, um, which is called Hangry, and uh, has a couple of things in film festivals like Are We Good Parents, which stars Sean McGuire and Tracy Toms. Nice. Right. I yeah. was going to say that's that, that's another that's another one to put on the notch for Jason to check out. Yeah. Not this. Not just <laughs> both Jasons. I still check. Out. <laughs> uh, my next pick. Should I go with here? Okay. Um, I have, uh, how do I say this name? Julia DeCornell, uh, mm-hmm. who, who did a uh, directed raw last year. Um, mm-hmm. apparently I'm into the cannibalism films for this week's episode because uh, boys gotta movie, eat. 
this movie is it's a coming of age story um, that happens to involve a vegetarian's realization that uh, they can, they have a big obsession with uh, eating human meat given the chance. I believe what it was at Sundance or somebody like allegedly like passed out during a screening of this film or like had a heart attack or something, something crazy happened. Um, I was at that screening. I don't remember that. <laughs> there was, there was someone that, <laughs> although maybe there was more than one. I was at one of them though. I did see, I did see Rod Sundance. So, <laughs> Yeah, someone, someone. Oh, sorry, it was Tim. It was uh, Toronto. It was okay, Toronto. I was gonna say I don't remember yeah, someone, that. <laughs> someone, someone, someone fainted apparently during one of the graphic scenes. Uh, regardless, uh, Raw is, uh, <laughs> it's quite the movie. I believe it was in my like, not my top ten or top twenty. It was in my like t- of top films of the year just because of how refreshing it was to see something like this as far as twisting the coming of age genre what's the other uh thelma that was the other film that came out last year where it was like uh, another coming of age story but it was like a person with like special powers you remember that film jason yeah 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 i, th- I think so yeah <laughs> yeah and like i felt like raw was like the superior of the two if i were to put them against each other um because it it it, it we talked last week about what is it uh, neil marshall how he makes you feel the pain um in his movies raw really (laughs) it makes you feel like oh yeah that's disgusting like that you really get a sense of like what's going on there because it's not necessarily body horror but there's when it comes to (laughs) i guess when it comes to cannibalism which is something i don't tend to see too often in films it's very affecting (laughs) it very much gets to me um and the the way they they filmed the way uh films the meat and films things happening um and blends that into this kind of story of a of a college kid finding her way there's there's something to admire about bringing all that together so effectively uh regardless of the kind of emotions that go on uh, seeing the brutality on display mixed with a person coming into their own so yeah raw that's that's the next one that i was uh, i'm going with here nice jason what's uh, what's your next pick okay my next pick would be you know somebody who i saw you know who's uh, you know kind of horror style and and really um inspired me uh you know younger was uh, mary lambert um i mean you could definitely put it for pet cemetery but she's done quite a bit of work obviously she started off um you know like like most filmmakers kind of doing music videos stuff for madonna and right out of the gate, after all of that kind of stuff, she did the Great Pet Cemetery, and uh, uh, one of my one of my one of my favorites, um, not just in terms of the uh, the the horror, but in terms of the great character work. She's she's somebody who really, I think, especially when she's working with older actors, gets really great chem, uh, you know character work out of actors. Um, you know, the great Fred Gwynn in Pet Cemetery. Uh, one of my personal favorites, the uh, the Tales from the Crypt episode she directed called Collection Completed uh, with M. Emmett Walsh. And um, it was Audra, the, the, the Audra Lindley, uh, who was in uh, Three's Company. Um, just a great, funny, awesome character horror piece. Um, but she's definitely gone back and forth. If you look at her filmography from great uh, music videos, she did Pet Cemetery 2. She did a lot of TV stuff. Um, she did the in crowd. She did Urban Legends, Bloody Mary. Um, so she's kind of gone back and forth, and she's she's managed to you know up right now into Arrow in the Blacklist. So um, she's definitely somebody who I'm seeing is is, is definitely stayed with it and uh, kind of moved back and forth. But uh, Pet Cemetery is such a great film, and again, the collection completed from Tales of the Crypt is so great, and it just it really I I I, I would have loved to have seen um, more uh, films from Mary, um, but again her, her her body of work is 
is nothing to shake a stick at. It's really awesome. Great. Uh, let's go back to Brandon. Brandon, what's your uh, what's your next pick here? Uh, my next pick is uh, I think it's a Lee Janiak. Uh-huh. She did a movie called Honeymoon. Oh yeah, she did debut. <laughs> it's got Rose uh, Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones, and it's uh, I I did a Blu-ray review for it. Uh, uh, let's see, a few years back. Um, gosh. Didn't seem like that long ago, uh, but it's it's kind of a, a body snatchery ish movie okay, okay. with some body horror stuff. It's it's pretty cool. It's 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 eerie. It's it's mysterious. It's got it's got plenty of plenty of style to it, uh, which makes it um, you know shows off her talent and makes it uh, more interesting. And that's that's like her film because she's you know newer, uh, but she also has done a couple episodes of Scream, uh-huh. the MTV show we were talking about. Hey, they pick interesting people to direct those films. Um, I think there's like a, a new cra- the craft that she's attached, uh, been rumored to be attached to, uh, either writing or directing it. Yeah, for um, Sony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, okay. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, someone with potential breakout. I, I, it's funny because I remember, you know, um, uh, with Honeymoon, uh, I had ended up that year putting Rose Leslie on my best actress list because I think that's just a fantastic performance. Great film. Mm-hmm. And even oh, yeah. Fantastic performance. And it's funny because I had never watched Game of Thrones, so I had no idea who Rose Leslie was. So it was really difficult getting that interview because I just, you know, I see a great performance. I want to interview somebody. So I didn't realize why it was so difficult. But <laughs> she was she had already done all the Game of Thrones stuff. So but yeah, that's that's a really that movie is a really clever movie. And I am not surprised that Scream, you know, picked her up. And and, and again, can't wait for hey, she's doing any remake of any thing i would watch it she's definitely someone who i could see blum probably putting out to but of course somebody already grabbed her so. mm-hmm. all right uh sabina what's your next pick my next pick is Gigi guerrero she is uh la muñeca del terror um uh she is a director from mexico who is currently making movies in canada she moved there to go to film school um she actually had a really interesting uh short in i believe it was was it ABCs of Death? No, it was. Um, she did M. Yeah, it was ABCs of Death too. M is for Matador, and um, I actually haven't seen her feature yet. Something I'm trying to get my hands on to like just watch. It's uh, called Quinceanera, which is basically like a sweet sixteen for uh, Latinas. And you know, we've gotten so many cool like slasher and like B movies about prom nights and sweet sixteens or coming of age that it, it'd be really awesome to see something like that with like, you know, that rite of passage into adulthood for Mexican women or Latinas who celebrate uh, that. So I'm excited to watch that and see uh, someone, you know, representing the culture. I actually saw that she might've met with Blumhouse uh, a while back. I think like about a week yeah. before. Nice. Uh, about a week before uh, that whole tweet incident happened, because I, I follow her on social media. She's really awesome and hilarious. And she also does a lot of work during uh, haunt season at theme parks in Canada. So like, I like watching her stories and seeing her like create awesome makeup or perform or like, I think she is one of the managers of casting at whatever theme park does like their Halloween haunts over there. So it's really cool to like watch her be creative in any aspect and, uh, just you know she's someone i'm excited to see more of all right my next pick is um 
film that I forgot about until today because I did see it, but I was I I completely forgot that this was a thing. Uh, Black Rock, directed by Katie Asselton. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen this film? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Katie Asselton, who's best known as an actor, she's on Legion, uh, as a matter of fact, as well as uh, The League. Um, was uh, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe she's she's uh, married to Mark Duplass, yep. um, who wrote the film, uh, wrote Black Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, this film it features her, Lake Bell, and Kate Bosworth, the three friends that go on this oh, trip okay. to the island. Okay, I remember this yeah. one. Yeah, okay, yeah, they go on. A See, trip Brandon, to Brandon, Brandon's a little like me. We've seen so many movies. It's kind of you have to. We have to. We have to narrow it down. <laughs> and then we go. Oh, okay. <laughs> they go. They go on a trip to like this remote island. Um, and while they're trying to basically reunite on the island, they run into some other guys in the island, and it turns into like basically a survival horror film, um, a survival horror film mixed with uh, female empowerment. Uh, as the uh, the actresses uh, team, you know, they work together to get out of their predicament. It's quite good in a sort of visceral sort of way, uh, which is, I mean, knowing uh, Asselton only from like a comedic performance on an FX series, it's like. Oh, so this is what she has in her, apparently. This is the kind of thing she wants to do as a director, um, which was neat to see. Uh, I think the film works as far as a, a quick kind of genre piece, uh, but you get some strong performances, especially because it involves uh, a level of bonding that needs to like happen after like tragedy starts striking. Um, the film's shot a lot at night, and there's a lot of great cinematography to capture the sort of moonlit uh, region that they're in. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's certainly a, a visual eye there. I don't... Th- I'm trying to see if there's any other directing work um, I just worked on. Because I know there's some, there's uh, Being Married to Dupla. She's part of the kind of the mumblecore uh, set of things. I know she worked on another movie, uh, The Freebie. There it is, The Freebie. Um, I can't see any other directed work since uh, Black Rock, though. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if there's anything more going on if she just wants to keep pursuing being an actress. But no, Black Rock was certainly a solid genre entry, so I wanted to, I wanted to point that one out. Uh, Jason, what's your next pick? Okay, my next pick is some of you might guys, you guys may be never heard of, but it, her name is Emily uh, Hagens. Uh, is it Hagens? Yes, yes the, uh, the great Emily Hagens. Now, I had gotten introduced to this young lady um, in, a, in a documentary. She didn't direct the documentary, but she was the focus of the documentary. And uh, the documentary was called Zombie Girl, the movie. And it was about uh, a girl who, um, I'm trying to remember, she was, I think she was 11 at the time or nine at the time. And, uh, and this was a little girl who, you know, who was really, you know, a big film fan. And she had seen, you know, Peter Jackson stuff and was inspired to become a filmmaker. And she really loved zombie movies. And so she made, oh, was left. She was 11. So she made this, this, this feature called Pathogen. And, uh, uh, the the documentary was about that, and of course I had seen Pathogen, and and she just from there um, just kept making movies. You know, this is a, a girl who did after that did a, a little kind of a scary story with called the retelling, retelling, um, little not as obviously as gory and as awesome as Pathogen in terms of the 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 body count factor, but definitely kind of a creepy story. Uh, My sucky teen romance was kind of a little you know fun quirky kind of thing. Um, she did a little segment called touch in the chilling visions five senses of fear um, oh, yeah, i saw that uh, one yeah and uh, and she also did she also took her hand at doing a uh, doing a gang like a um a heist movie called coin heist so you know listen a- Emily oh, yeah, that's has, on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, Emily has kind of exceeded any expectation I had when I first saw that documentary. I mean, she has stayed, you know, throughout her little small career there. Through she stayed with some of the horror stuff because her next one's called Scare Package, 
and I guess it's uh, eight filmmakers. The premise here says eight filmmakers, eight hilarious visions of terror, zero working cell phones, which of course she'd be perfect for. Um, but I am so impressed that this little girl from Austin, you know, who, who, who just wanted to make a film because, you know, she loves zombies and she loves films and would just kept making movies and, and, each one of these movies absolutely just gets better and better and better. I'm a big Emily Hagen's fan and uh, and uh, can't wait to see Scare Package or whatever she's going to do next. Cool. All right. Well, we're getting to our last picks each now here. So, uh, Brandon, what's your what's your final pick for this? Maybe maybe a cheat, but I, I'm I'm looking toward the future, Uh-oh. toward uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jackie Kong. What the hell? I expected yeah. expected that from you. <laughs> Uh, kind of cheap because uh, their first uh, person first feature film comes out, I think, toward in a, like a month or two. Um, but I, I have and a person who is in the house with uh, Blum, Blum House. So uh, right there, Jason, um, uh, it's, I have Rebecca McKendry. She's uh, she hosts the the Shockwaves podcast for um, for Blum House. She's one of the uh, the people like Ryan Turek is a part of that group and uh, Rob Galuso and Elric Kane. I think that's the four. And um, she's been at, she was with Fangoria for like the longest time. She's done a lot of short films. I think she's a professor somewhere too, but she's a really a great mind with the whole horror genre. Great uh, thoughts, um, you know, reads on things and just, you know, interesting person to talk, but her debut film is all the creatures were stirring. It's a holiday horror film with, um, she directed it with she co-directed it with her husband and um i'm looking really forward to it. i think i can't wait to see what like her vision is and maybe continues with it um because she's been doing she's been doing like shorts but they were like you know well funded pretty solidly funded shorts um i had uh on my show i had uh like uh larry zerner who was shelly in friday the 13th part three um and he was he's in this movie and he was you know talking about it and stuff and it sounds pretty cool so yeah it's it's, it's like a it's an anthology film of different tales of holiday terror but i, I yeah that's a, a promising person for the future hopefully i was gonna say that some great cast members the great jocelyn donahue who yeah huge yeah uber fan of graham skipper's in there looks like too so every time i see jocelyn donahue in a commercial i'm like good she's getting work but I'd, i man why isn't she in like tons more movies but she is and she's amazing i remember she was mm-hmm. trying trying to remember the movie she was in it was after um the, the house of the devil it was uh oh, it was a comedy and i was like oh my god she's great in it <laughs> i was like she needs to do way more movies uh the last godfather very cheesy movie but she was so good in that movie yeah. i mean so it's not I like she's not in, it's not like she's not in things but right Right. She deserves to be a more. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sabina, what's your last pick here? Okay, so my last pick, I already talked about her just a little bit earlier on in the podcast. It's uh, Chelsea Peters, Chelsea Stardust. Uh, she is currently shooting a feature uh, for Fangoria, the remake of Satanic Panic. And um, I've seen a bunch of her shorts. She's done stuff for Crypt TV that's great. Well, one of my favorites is uh, Marco Polo, which has amazing makeup work on the creature and that. And um, I think she definitely has a very fun and vibrant uh, voice that I can't wait to see uh, do more things in the genre. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, like, I, I've been following, if you follow her online, uh, she posts every day that she's shooting. She's sick right now, but she's, like, braving it through, and, uh, that's, it's awesome, you know, and, um, I hope that Jason gives her more things, you know, I think he is producing some of her stuff, though, that's coming down the line. Where did I see this? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that movie 
quite a bit. Right. I had actually, I had actually, you know, in an interview with, um, with the wonderful, awesome, amazing Samantha Mathis, she had talked specifically actually about, um, uh, all, all that we destroyed. She said it was, you know, as directed by FOC Chelsea Stardust. Um, and, uh, yeah, that they, they would be coming out, uh, coming out soon. So small movie in February. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. All right. Uh, my last pick here, I'm kind of dancing between two because mm. uh, they're both filmmakers that are accomplished in their own right, but they haven't really done. It's more like here's this off the beaten path thing where I'm kind of doing horror now before I move back to other things. Uh, while it was actually the most recent film for one director, um, it's this kind of uh, like, hey, this happened once. Uh, so I'm, I'm referring to um, Mary Heron, who directed American Psycho, mm. and uh, Sofia Coppola, who did The Beguiled last year, uh, which I, I would classify as a form of horror. But I, they're both like, it even, I mean, Coppola, I think you could say he's... The Virgin Suicides. I mean, it's not like it's not like she's done outright genre films. I think The Beguiled is probably the closest she's come to doing just like a straight up genre movie. It just happens to pack in a lot of things that she you know goes for in her films in general. Um, Mary Heron, she's more about the, the, the satirical elements in American Psycho. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a scary movie, but I mean, it certainly has horrific violence and things that take place. And I think, I, I mean, I think both films are of a good quality as far as uh, representing what they're trying to do. With Heron specifically on Psycho, it only make it, it makes so it's it's so much neat to see, you know, a woman take on that perspective of like the ultimate men in the '80s uh, doing this ridiculous like dick <laughs> measuring with their business cards and their the the vapidness mm -hmm. of all the of the time and everything. It, having I, I feel like the another version of that movie where there's a different director in place, a male director in place. I don't think you get some of the cutting uh, wit that you, you get from American psycho. I mean, the, the bread Ellis Houston book obviously, you know, has that kind of embedded in there, but visual visualizing that and getting certain kinds of performances out of Christian Bale and Jared Leto and Josh Lucas and all these people, I think it really benefits that film with the beguiled. I mean, that's a film that just fits for the time very obviously, but it's, 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 I, I feel like it, I don't think it got written off um, by critics. I feel like it, it did get like positive ratings overall, but I mean, the film, you know, it's not like it was a big Oscar play either. And whether or not it needs to be this kind of prestige thing, you can see Coppola just matching well with what that original novel was trying to go for in having these different generations of women where you have what, like Elle Fanning's the youngest, Kirsten Dunst in there, and then Nicole Kidman, all like being gathered around Colin Farrell's character and the different reactions they have and the ways they eventually kind of band together uh, to solve the scenario that they're in. There's a good eye for building tension in there and taking advantage of the time and place that this film is set in. It's a, you know, it it's not quite a gothic horror, but there's certainly a lot of, you know, gothic elements within it, given the house and the, the use of the South and what have you. So yeah, I just want, I want to shout both of those ones out, even if the directors aren't necessarily like moving towards more and more horror genre stuff. They certainly, you know, they dip their toes in, and I think it turned out quite well. Uh, Jason, what's your uh, what's your last pick? Okay, uh, well, I'm gonna do because he had done a future one. I mean, past ones uh, that I would go through, you know, just to list them off here. Obviously, Jackie Kong, which I was I was actually surprised Brandon did to do that. I thought she, she'd be right up his alley, especially with a little Night Patrol action. But uh, and then you've got Janet Greek. Uh, who did Spellbinder, one of my favorites, and The Ladies Club. You got Fran Rubel uh, Kazuzi, who did Bloody the Vampire Slayer, the movie, which a lot of people, some people, you know, like the show more, but she did executive produce the shows. And you do have Holly Dale, who did Blood and Donuts. And by the way, Holly Dale has the longest list of TV credits I've ever seen. 
on an IMDb page, including things like Dexter, The Dead Zone, and Grimm. So at least she parlayed that into an awesome TV career. But I would say, for me, I would say uh, I want to highlight, let's see, one, two, three, four future filmmakers that I think that Jason Blum should uh, bring on board uh, from different things that I've seen. First one I would say, if we're going to go known, would be Daniel Harris, who did uh, a little yeah. piece in Prank and did Amongst, Among Friends. Um, again, everybody in the genre knows who Daniel Harris is, but Among Friends is just a, it's a great piece of work. And she directed that, and I, I think she's got a huge future if they let her as as a director you know she really took all of the the skills and the, and the and the talent that she had as an actress in that genre and put it into that movie and it's tasty so you could put down harris it's neat in the in the research i was doing for today i didn't realize that she had directed because we just talked about her yeah we'll talk about talk about halloween this past week and we'll probably talk about her and many others in the, in the next horror themed episode um i did i didn't realize that she had directed a feature so it's like yeah good good on her for you know putting all that experience uh, towards something like that absolutely um one is uh a couple of different shorts that i had seen both at Dances with Films and Etheria Film Night. One was called Laboratory Conditions, and it was by a filmmaker named Jocelyn Statmat, S-T-A-T-M-A-T. And it was a little short that had Marissa Tomei and Minnie Driver in it. And it's a creepy, awesome little short about, uh, it's kind of like Flatliners, but for the uh, uh, for the creepy monster crowd. And it's it was really good, and it was one of the fil- one of the few shorts that I saw that I went, I want to see a feature of that movie. So it was called Laboratory Conditions uh, by Jocelyn Statmat, and again, it had Mar- Mar- Marissa Tomei and Mini Driver, and I was like, where's the rest of this movie? It's so good. Fl- fl- flatliners for the creepy monster crowd makes yeah. me so excited to see a gathering of yeah. like, universal movie monsters <laughs> yeah. in lab coats at college, like <laughs> yeah. trying to figure this thing out. <laughs> Um, Another one, another short um, uh, was one called Instinct, and it was by a Brazilian filmmaker named Maria Alice Arida, um, and it was her AFI thesis film. So remember, this is a short right out of the gate, and man, is it tasty. I mean, we're talking like early Wachowski bound, that kind of style, but definitely with a horror sensibility. He should be, he should have seen that short because it played a a bunch of different, not only did it play at Dances with Films, but it played at Etheria Film Night. Jason Blum should be grabbing that Brazilian filmmaker by the hair and just begging her to come in. Her visual savvy and style is so good. Oh man, he should, he should be so lucky. He should be out. out. (laughs) Be the, would be the best look. Jason Blub grabs yeah. woman by the hair and begs her to make and films. <laughs> She's that good. So Maria Alice Arita and her film, her thesis film from AFI was called Instinct, and it's uh, it's like if the you know if the if the Wachowski brothers just hit it right out of the gate like that. Um, and look at how far their career went. And the last one I would do is a uh, a filmmaker uh, by the name of Megan Brotherton, and she had sent me a couple of different shorts over the years. Uh, one, uh, um, but one was a comedy and. One one was a drama. Uh, one was called Buttercup, and the other one calls everybody is called Everybody Does It. And she actually uh, put up a seed and spark recently, and it was for the Dupless Brothers. They were doing a thing called Hometown Heroes, and you had to have your uh, your um, premise for your feature um, have seventy uh, percent um, funded, and it had to have over a thousand followers. And hers was called The Bachelorette Party. And it's a comedy horror uh, featuring an all featuring an all female ensemble cast. And uh, so she, you know, I, I listen. The Duplass brothers should be thankful after seeing her shorts that she's a finalist in that thing. So she did get the green light. 
actually does get to pitch to the Duplass brothers. And uh, I'm super excited to see what Megan's going to do. So, like I said, if I see, you know, great work by, you know, people who do shorts, features, whatever, I put in on that, uh, on that that campaign because I, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is kind of critic. So I'm super excited. But all of those filmmakers, uh, Daniel Harris, Jocelyn Stetmet, uh, Marie Alice Arida, and Megan Brotherton are all amazing, amazing female filmmakers. And I just got that just going to a few festivals. So there's a ton out there that are being untapped and that should be uh, should be working. So those are those are my picks. You know, one of the, the you mentioned prank um, from Daniel Harris, which is I, I I haven't seen it, but I always remember it because she didn't she she cast like J C Brandy in that movie, right? <laughs> like, and I think that's kind of neat that her first movie was she cast like who she replaced her in another movie right off the bat, showing there's no bad blood. All right, well I, we've gone through a lot of films. Um, again, I'm gonna you know provide a list for this episode. I'll also provide some links in the show notes because there's been a lot of great articles that especially in recent weeks um, where more than just Jason wants to take Jason Blum to task for things that have happened uh, that have gone over the variety of uh, different horror filmmaker, female horror filmmakers that are out there um, both uh, from the past as well as currently working. Um, So I'll add some show notes there as well. So people can check out a lot of uh, unique and interesting films. Um, But with all that said, yeah, this is, this has been great. Uh, There's a a great list. By the way, just quickly, there's a great list that both Aaron and I both know about on Mumbi.com, M-U-B-I.com. And they they have a listing here that goes from 1966 to 2017 of just female-helmed horror movies. And it's a, you know what? It's an impressive batch, man. It's an impressive amount of work. Yeah, that's that's a list that has over 100 films on it. So it's, it's certainly, you know, there's a lot of variety there. But yeah, no, this is, I, I J- Jason, you, you were the inspiration behind, you know, doing both the Lethal Ladies of Horror and the, and, and I kind of piggybacked off that to think of the uh, female directors list, because I think that, you know, it is a good time to go over these things. So we talked about a lot, of, a lot of different horror topics over the years, so I feel like this has been a good, uh, you know, way to branch out further, even if it does mean having to kind of unfortunately say, hey, here's a division of this thing that happens to involve another gender, as opposed to just saying it all works together. But here we are. And- but we also show the disparity of it as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's right. yeah. showing why that, that there is this thing. Because when we all talk, we're like, we have a, a limited, we don't have any Wes Cravens where it's just room like a bunch of horror films like it's this right. this and i guess she applied it to this and then there's all this tv like that's mm-hmm. kind of where we sit with if you notice we don't we don't have your mick garris's your west cravens your, all those people we i have, I have james wan goals like that's <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. For sure <laughs> yeah i mean like going back to that is um something that i, I definitely do, do want to point out uh, where you know we are pulling all these names that we've heard of that have gotten the chance to like make at least a feature and some notable shorts. There are a lot of female filmmakers who are trying to see you know what their path should be. You know we we keep hearing all these stories about like oh that like indie dude filmmaker who made like two shorts and then got a big indie film or then got a big feature film. Like you know we have. Uh, David uh, Sandberg, who did the short Lights Out, and then he got, you know, uh, the Annabelle creation film and his film Lights Out based on the short. And for a lot of women, you know, we don't see a lot of stories where we can kind of like look to and be like, oh, wow, like she did like two things and then got a feature. That's awesome. We're all, you know, trying to figure out where we can demonstrate what we're capable of and want to be hired on like different positions in the industry to, you know, be where we need to be for these producers like Jason Blum to be like, you know, Oh, like 
I'll keep my eye on you or, you know, oh, you should be working at this to get that opportunity to make something to, you know, come into the room and pitch, you know? Yeah, it's a lot. Of, you look at the women's, uh, their filmographies and it's like a lot of shorts, a film, five years later, the next film, seven yeah. years later, a film. It's it's a disparity. And then like my first one, Rachel Talele is like, Earned yeah. her damn stripes and then got a film like 12 years later. The guys right. is like, well, I did this little indie and now I'm making CGI dinosaurs. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Jenkins it, between Monster and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Like that was like 12 years. <laughs> right. And we talk about the Sasuke twins. Everybody knows who they are in horror. People like what they do in horror. Yeah. They're not making Conjuring movies or Annabelle or uh, like the, the biggies. Going well, around quick movies, you know. Yeah, they're making like Chino Evil straight two straight to video. Yeah. I mean, the rabbit. How, how big is that release going to be? You know, <laughs> like he should have grabbed those two immediately. I mean, that's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah like why? Yeah, everybody he, knows who they, they love their personalities. They're, didn't he produce their TV show, like the Elevator show? I think that was a Blumhouse produced thing. But it's like, why are you giving them a TV show and not a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they, yeah, they I. I wouldn't imagine they come at an expensive price and they're good personalities to have on like a media circuit. Like I don't, yeah, it's, it's strange. Like, cause you talk to someone horror, even if they haven't seen their movie, they probably know who they are. Right. And yeah, but this, I can't it's take not, it. It's, it's not, it's a bias. You know, I think that there's conscious and unconscious bias in various degrees of it, you know, and it's all about, accountability and unlearning that you know being like oh well well hey we gave these dudes these shots like that quickly oh hey we let this guy fail and give him another movie like why aren't we letting women do that too right exactly exactly and and the good news to come out of that was i remember reading a follow-up article where he said you know what i definitely where jason blum said i definitely got schooled and and it's opened my eyes to a lot of female filmmakers and he said we're going to be having some different people come in so hopefully he's a man of his word and and brings in some of these fantastic uh, you know, filmmakers who have done shorts, who have done features, who have done whatever, and uh, see what they can do, man. We got some great ones on even on on this podcast that uh, that uh, definitely uh, um, should be looked into. I was just going to say I've been short on optimism this year, so I, I want to hope that you know things like this can pay off. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we've mentioned a lot of good work, we've mentioned a lot of uh, people that are very talented, obviously, yeah. and it'd just be nice to you know uh, see progression as opposed to regression. Yeah. No, like, why can't the female director, if her, the visionary female director, if her films don't give, you know, a couple films don't pan out box office wise, why can't she fall back on being like old school stock studio director and be handed films like you're doing this, you're doing this instead of you're out of a job, you know, because I feel like that's some of these visionary guys or used to have a lot, you know, make their personal films they didn't do well, but then they get to fall back on just, yeah, you can direct this next junky blockbuster or or mid-level picture that that isn't theirs but they still have that consistent director paycheck so with all that in mind we've mentioned a lot of good (laughs) films that you can get out there uh we've mentioned a lot of opinions if you have any thoughts on anything we've discussed by the way for all these horror specials including this one of course email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com or uh, you know message us over at facebook or twitter you know where we can follow our stuff Um, as we wrap up here i will mention that next week's show the final horror episode of the month planning to make it our main episode of the week as well just because there's a lack of new releases that are all that interesting because Suspiria doesn't open on nearly enough screens this week. Um, but we're going to be going over, I think, the Halloween franchise as kind of a, a whole. Give it a good tribute. Maybe get into some spoiler discussion over the new Halloween, um, H4O. 
so yeah, I think there there's going to be a lot of talk about that. Uh, so you know, be prepared for more Michael Myers love in the in the coming week. But until then, until next time, uh, where can people find everybody else's uh, work on the internet? Let's start with uh, Sabina. Where can people find more of you online? Uh, people can find more of my work on Twitter at Sabina has no R. Uh, I have that be that be my name because people call me Sabrina a lot. So, um, but on there. Um, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reporting on the Halloween haunt events at Universal Studios, uh, Queen Mary, even uh, Warner Brothers Horror Made Here, which was which is their third year, and they've done a lot of really cool stuff with their IPs. Uh, if you want to check that out, the links are in there. And I also link out uh, my shorts, uh, especially during Halloween, my horror shorts, and uh, my opinions on uh, statements like Jason Blum's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jason Coleman, where can people find more of you? I'm a simple man. You can find me at whysoblue.com. Of course, encapsulated movie reviews and all that good stuff. And of course, this uh, this it would be this Monday, I guess, um, would be um, uh, where I'm dropping a, a special f- treat for horror fans, which I don't want to don't want to give away, but it's it's something you're definitely going to want to check out and read. And uh, it's a special treat for fans, and of course, for my boss Brian White. And, uh, of course, Jimmy and I tend to do, try to do, uh, cool events just for fans. Um, so we have that on the uh, Facebook. So it's facebook.com slash flicks, F-O-R, for fans. So you can check us out there, too. I, I, I want to tease your thing out further by saying I make a list every year of movies I plan to watch during October. And the one that is key to your thing is on that list. I look forward to watching that before your thing goes up on Monday. Nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Brandon, Brandon Peters, where can people find more of you? I'm also at Why So Blue, but you can check me on uh, cultcinemacavalcade.com. Uh, we have a new episode coming uh, Monday. And speaking of you know, women in horror, we have a uh, friend of the show, Bianca Lane, coming on. She's doing a film called Zombinatrix, which has just hit its Kickstarter goal of being fully funded, which she's producing. Uh, she's written, um, which she's starring in, and you know, probably doing costumes. A lot of a lot of self, uh, self-done stuff there, but she'll be going to talk about that. And we're talking about you know, Trick or Treat. And uh, yeah, and then we got something cool next month, hopefully, but I can't talk about it now because it's not finalized. All right. But yeah, it'd be a cool, it's a cool woman in horror thing again, possibly. So there you go. Nice. You can find more of me at the CodeZeke.com, Why So Blue, and We Live Entertainment, where I'm covering The Walking Dead, and I put all my movie reviews. You can also follow me on Air at on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Brandon, Sabina, Jason, thank you all for joining me to discuss uh, female horror directors today. Hey, thank awesome. you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Great subject. Had a great time. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, you can find all the other episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Audioboom, and Spotify. You know where you can find our show and do all our social media stuff. Uh, but yeah, until next time, until next week's last uh, horror special that's gonna do it so until then so long and goodbye Swing.